So once again, Romans 12, the first two verses, this is a passage small enough uh, that you could memorize it if you wanted to. Some people have. I think I have, but I'm still going to use the Bible because I don't want to embarrass myself. But Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and let's pray as we hear God's word. God, we want to hear you, and we want to hear you in a way that quickens new life in us and helps us to be transformed, to become more and more like you and your love in this world. So may your word be alive to us, in us, through us, because of this time we spend right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, listen to God's word to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good unacceptable, and perfect. The gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, this has been quite a week, hasn't it? And in the midst of the news that came, up, came out about a week ago about the Boston bombings and all of the horrendous wake of that and what that city has gone through and the huge search for those two brothers. Um, and in the midst of all that, my own pondering about what it means to be the church and what it means to be a pastor, um, and who would have thunk that some of what was helpful to me came on Facebook, but there was a Methodist church, semi-connected to the Methodist church, um, this particular picture and quote that I really appreciated um, and that I posted on my site. And if you can't read that, it says, Fear is not the only force at work in the world today. Prayers for the people in Boston. I really liked that for a lot of reasons. Uh, it contextualized what was going on in the larger context of who God is. The context of God's great love for us in Jesus Christ that is greater than life and death and sin and evil and judgment. And in the midst of this horror, we don't have to live in fear. We can live in faith. We can, instead of reacting in uh, even hate for these two brothers, that we can live in the context of God's love, the source of all things, who holds all things, who loves even our enemies. It's a different context but to contextualize all of life in the context of who God is, the truth and character of God revealed in Jesus Christ, the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And truly you could say that that is the purpose of worship, that when we come here, we are contextualizing our lives and the multiple contexts of our lives in the reality of who God is. And actually, you could say that that's the purpose of the church. It's really to help us live all the contexts of our life in the context 
of who God is, holding all things. For real estate, they say that the most important thing is what? Location, location, location. And I appreciate the words of Mark Laverton. He's the new president coming in, uh, president for Fuller Theological Seminary. He would say the most important thing for the church is context, context, context. You know, we are baptized, and when we are baptized, we really are living in two contexts. We are living in the extraordinary, invisible, and yet even more real than anything, reality of God. And we are also living in the very ordinary, very visible, messy stuff of our lives. And in that baptism, as we live out that baptism, we are following Jesus, and that changes the way we see reality, and it changes the way we live our lives in context. And you stop and think about it, all of life is lived in context. And our context of each of our individual lives forms us and shapes us. I live my life in this body. You live your life in your body, in my family, in my ethnicity, in my social class, in this nation. We all live our lives in context. And as we live as a church and as those who are baptized, the people of God, we proclaim the good news in context. And so it's really important for us to become people who reflect on our context in every way. The context that is God, the context that is me, that has formed and shaped me and who I am, and this context of who I am, my gender, my family, my geography, my class, my nation, helps me to know how to engage the context of God as a church, as God's people, but also can hinder me and to be mindful of that. When I was uh, taking a class this last January, it, uh, the class was called um, Spirituality and Contemporary Issues, and part of what we were studying and learning about um, was racism and classism and sexism. And fortunately for me, in the class, there were quite a few African-American students who helped us understand more fully uh, the challenges of racism. One of the books that we were asked to read is called Learning to be White by an African-American named Thandika. Thandika tells a story at the beginning of the book. I haven't read the whole book. This is so bad. I always start reading a book, and then I get about that far, and then it's like, ugh, life takes over. But anyway, at the beginning of the book, she's talking about how she became, um, she moved to the Northeast, and uh, she was meeting the faculty in this particular community college where she was teaching. And one of the faculty members said to her, what is it like to be black? She wasn't offended by the question, but she gave this particular person, a very progressive New Englander, a challenge. She called it the race game. And in the race game, there was only one rule. What she asked her to do was to, for the rest of the week, anytime she introduced any Euro-American, because this particular person was a white European-American, Anytime she introduced any Euro-American, she would have to also put the descriptor white. This is my white husband, Phil. 
This is my white child, Carl. This is my white, and on and on. You get the point. She said, you, if you do that for a week, you know, let's have lunch again in a week, and then we can have the conversation about what it's like to be black. She said they never had lunch. They never talked about it again. And every time she's had a progressive friend who has indicated an interest in learning more about racism, and she's asked them to try this race game challenge, nobody's been able to do it, even for a day. Not even for a day. Because what it does is it exposes, it, is, it exposes our sense of white as normative, white as superior, white as kind of the standard. And everything else takes a descriptor. You know, waking up to the fact that my world is not the world. It's a very, very important part of our growth into the context of God and our witness. Now, in the church that Paul is writing to in Rome, this particular church in the first century was a very tense situation because it was made up of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews, who were those who were the carriers of the faith tradition, of course considered themselves normative. Their world was the world, and they looked down on the Gentiles. On the other hand, the Gentiles, who were the recipients of grace in a different kind of way than the Jews could understand, they looked down on the Jews because they considered their experience of grace normative. Now, for the whole first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is dealing with this. He's dealing with the Jews, letting them know, you are not more superior than the Gentiles. All of you have sinned. All of us have sinned. And then the last couple chapters, he's dealing with the Gentiles. You're not more superior than the Jews. You're grafted in to this plant. And then he comes to his passage that we are in. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. The larger context of who God is holds us together. So we understand reality. We see reality new through the lens of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, this whole new context. But also it draws us out of that which has formed and shaped me, which is important to understand that. My context, my ethnicity, my culture, how it shaped me. And also what is the context around us into which the gospel comes? Because that's the way the good news is proclaimed, isn't it? God came in the flesh, in a body, in the context of a body, into a family, into a geographical area, into a Jewish culture and faith, into an era in the first century. And God still comes and brings the good news, and it is, it is experienced in context. And so it's really important for us to be people who reflect upon context, how it has formed us, how it gets in the way and hinders us, how it also surrounds us and is the very place where the gospel is experienced and takes hold. 
Many of you know that as a church, we have been, since last fall, working with an organization called TAG. It's a consulting visioning organization. And really, what TAG is helping us do is context, context, context. Who are we? What has formed and shaped Trinity in the last 50 plus years since we were formed as a congregation in 1955? Well, one of those things that formed and shaped us that we learned yesterday in our visioning retreat and talked about was that we were formed during what's called the broadcast era. The way things were communicated in our culture used to be print primarily. Then it was broadcast through TV, television, and that shaped the church and the way we experienced church. And now we're no longer in a broadcast era. What are we in now? We're in a digital era. So instead of all the information coming from somebody like me, the preacher, or some of the experts, now information is democratized, isn't it? It's coming from all over the place, which is good news for the church, and it's also hard news for those of us that are digital immigrants and not digital natives. But that's our context. That's our era. We no longer live in 1955, where print and where broadcast was dominant for the decades following that. We are in the digital era. That's our context. One of the things we were also asked to do in this process of working with TAG to understand our context is they did a demographic study and talked about what's going on in a three-mile radius around this church. And between the last retreat that your leaders attended and this retreat, we were asked to go into the community and interview somebody from our profiles that we listed that described the community around us, the context where we are. That's called boundary crossing. Going out of what you already know, moving across, and it's almost like going on a mission trip because you're going out of the world is not me. The world is bigger than me. And as I move out of my world and interview and I'm in conversation with other people, I'm learning more about how God is at work in the world and what the context is around me. Bill interviewed his roommate, what was described as a millennial hipster, whose uh, real concerns and values are around environmentalism. And what else? Networks of community. I thought that was interesting because we were talking about how environmental issues are so important, and they are for many in our community, and there we were using plastic forks. It was like, you know, we have a long way to go. But also, one of the, some people were interviewing seniors in the community uh, who have different experiences of church, some positive, some negative, reactivity around church. I interviewed a woman who actually um, represents one of the growing demographics in our three-mile radius, and she is the parent of uh, kids that are under eight years old, the Gen, Gen Z. Her kids are four and seven. Very interesting talking with her. She grew up, she and her husband, they have PhDs, they moved here from Great Britain. She grew up in a very small town. Um, Her parents were very involved in the community, volunteering and serving, often through the church, the youth club. They were just big participants in serving the community. And that's a real value she has now for her children. She talked about moving here, how expensive it is to live here, how hard it is to 
keep herself current in her career while she's trying also to raise her children. How she doesn't want to raise her children with the rampant materialism that's all around her. And she's not quite sure what to do about that. She's very involved in the San Carlos Belmont Mothers Club, which I'm telling you, that thing is amazing. 1,200 people are in the Mothers Club. Their kids are zero to five. They provide everything for one another. Meals, they swap clothes, they have play dates. I mean, they network in a phenomenal way. But what they don't do is that they don't. I could hear her as she was talking about growing up in the Anglican tradition and her, she learned about what Christmas meant and what Easter meant and she was so horrified when her kids went to school and they thought Christmas was about Christmas trees. So they don't contextualize our story in the story of God and who God is and God's love in Jesus Christ. That's missing for her. She doesn't come to church. Why? Because it's so politicized. And that's all she hears in the media is the far-right association of the church. But it was fascinating to go across that boundary into a descriptor of the people in our community. God has called us Trinity. Yesterday, we did a great job of naming our core values, our five core values. I was going to put them up on the screen, but it's too late, so you'll hear them later. Uh, but they're, it's, they, they describe us. This is who we are. And then also, as we talked about our context, where God has placed us to proclaim the good news, we're now getting more and more clear about what those action items will be for us to engage our context, to bring through the uniqueness of who we are, to help our community contextualize their lives, the many layers of their lives, in the fullness of God's love and the context of God's love for the whole creation in Jesus Christ. It's very exciting. But there's a danger also as we submerge ourselves in our culture and in our context there is a danger for us, and the danger is that we become more like our culture, and the culture transforms us. We are conformed to this world instead of the opposite. Instead of being that leavening presence that is helping this world be transformed by the love of God in Jesus Christ. You know, when way back in the fourth century, when the emperor, the Roman Empire, the emperor of the empire, Constantine, became a Christian, good news, the emperor became a Christian, but bad news is that it wasn't just Constantine that was converted. It was Christianity that was converted. Christianity became more and more like the empire, aligning with power instead of becoming more and more like Jesus. And now, hundreds of years later, finally, what's called Constantinianism is over. Church and culture hand in hand. It's allowing us once again to actually be that leavening presence that instead of the church being conformed to be like the culture, the church is that place where we are helping this world be that place of transformation or live out of the transformation that's ours in Jesus Christ. Oftentimes what comes out of the church, we think it's the wisdom of God, but really it more reflects the dominant culture instead of Jesus. Can you think of an illustration where that happens? Yeah? 
There's a hand up over here. Yeah, Dante. Right. So the support of slavery in the South. So I'm going to encourage you to go present day. So where is it happening right now? Where the church, this, the, what's coming out of the church, really reflects more the culture around us than it does the way of God in Jesus Christ. Yeah, Anita. Gays and lesbians, say more. Okay, so the exclusivity, instead of being welcoming, reflecting more the tension. Okay, so you've got to be like everybody else in order to join. Yes. Okay, so the priorities, soccer taking precedence over church and that which is formational for us in Christ. Back here, yeah. Prosperity. So more reflecting kind of the values of the culture around us in terms of prosperity and wealth. Instead of Jesus calling us to relinquish, live more simply. Yeah, Janae. So supporting actively or through our silence, war. Phil. So you're naming two things there, independence versus community, so the individualism that really is our culture, and then there's the consumerism. It's kind of shopping, um, you know, really selectively choosing what you like when it comes to kingdom things in the church, shopping for a church even. The entertainment. The entertainment culture. So Josh and I are up here to entertain you. <laughs> yes, was there? Yeah. I think the uh, notion or belief that if you don't express your faith in one way except God, that everything else is really a completely lost cause. So kind of a narrow exclusivism, you know, in terms of the good news of Jesus comes across as a real kind of condemning exclusive message. These are good. They're good, but they're horrifying too, right? Because this is what's coming out of the church. You know, and we are the people who are that place that we are helping people contextualize their lives in the hugeness of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And whenever we become small, my world, my ethnicity, my perspective, my nation, Whenever we become more like the culture, we have ceased to be faithful. The baptized ones, living in this enormous, extraordinary reality that is God, in the very ordinary messiness of our lives, and helping people contextualize their lives in that reality. How do we do that? It's so hard because the thickness of our culture, you know, and the way we're shaped by, by all the things that are around us, usually is thicker and has more of an impact on us than the impact of the church. As I've heard it described, the sociology of the kingdom is thin in our lives. The sociology of uh, the general sociology around us is very, very thick. That's why a lot of people have chosen to live in uh, communities, communities of Christians, monastic communities, uh, even new monasticism, where they're living with other people in houses or in communities so that they can be living out the primary context of God. But how do we do it when most of us are not in monastic communities? Well, Paul is clear in Romans. It takes community. He is not writing to an individual. He's writing 
plural, you, you. I appeal to you as a community. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. It cannot happen when we are alone. It cannot happen apart from engagement in the communal life of the church. And it is one of the many of the action items that will be measuring how are we engaging people in this communal experience, this context of church that helps us live that primary context in our multiple contexts every single day. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies to that community, to living out of this context, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect? Not just when you're sitting here in church. This is meant to help us as we are asking those questions every day. In our bodies, what we do with our bodies, in our homes, in our families, in our work, in our school, in this community. That's what the church is here to help us do.